is fair day today. I don't think people got excited for that. It is fair day today. That is chicken and ribs up in this place. That is the Holy Spirit up in Before we do that, we got to get a little excited in here. We got to get a little bounce in our step. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. All right. So all of you are now a part of the rhythm section. You know what that means, all right? It means you put your hands together. Ready? Like this. Come on. Now you still got to sing, so come on. Sing, sing, sing. We will sing, sing, sing. First Baptist Church where we simply like to hang out. We don't want it to be a church where you come for your hour, hour and a half for worship and then go home, uh, maybe do a Bible study. We just like each other and we love God. So take a moment right now, shake some hands, get to know each other and real quick, just a reminder for everybody, we do have the country fair today. Be back here at four o'clock. Now, how many of you guys are on Facebook? 14 of you, cool. How many of you guys are on Instagram? A little less. If you're on Instagram and on Facebook and on, and on Twitter, we're going with a hashtag today. If you don't know what that means, ask a young person, okay? All right, but we're going, yeah, we're going, we're going with a hashtag, okay? All right, so we're going with hashtag Country Fair 14. So it's hashtag what? Make sure you spell it right, Dave. Country Fair 14, okay? All right, so that way, if you take pictures, you can, we can see it on Instagram. We'll be able to see it on Facebook, and we can share your pictures, and we can see the fun that everybody's having today at the water, at the splash zone, at the games, popcorn, all that good stuff, chicken and ribs, awesome time. All right, now. Shake hands.
This morning, uh, that we have an opportunity to just give back to you uh, all that you deserve, all that you are worthy of. And Father, we are blown away with how passionate you are for us and how much you truly, deeply love us. Father, I thank you for this time that we have to corporately say that we love you and that we thank you for all that you do and continue to do an amazing work in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Good morning. Let's turn together to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, we'll start reading at verse 13, read to the end of the chapter, which is verse 24. So we start at Galatians 1, 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, I thank you for the freedom that we enjoy today, that we worship without fear of reprisal, and that we gather together without the suspicion of being watched or in any way taken to task. But Father, we know this freedom has not been cheaply won. And so this morning we thank you for those who have given their lives that we might enjoy the liberty that is ours in this nation. We thank you for those who have given their lives and lift up their families, where there is still a void and an emptiness, where there are children without parents, homes where there is an empty spot at the table. Father, I pray for the consoling work of your Holy Spirit and the healing work of your Holy Spirit, that where there has been great, great loss, the greatness of your grace would be made known. But, Father, we remember that some have won our freedom at the cost of emotional scars and physical scars, things that they will live with the rest of their lives. And not only, Father, bring the healing, comforting power of your Spirit to such as these, but, Father, make us sensitive and quick to express not only appreciation, but helpfulness and support and encouragement as well. But, Father, we know that the greatest sacrifice of all is the gift of your Son for us who died on the cross, gave his life that we might live. Father, how thankful we are that you loved us so much that you sent your Son to die in our place. And we pray that the work of your Holy Spirit in us then would open our hearts to Christ, to love him, but, Father, to serve him, and, Father, to make his name known that he would be exalted among the nations. Father, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's continue in our praise. If you will stand, please. If you're following along in the hymnal, turn to hymn number 68. 68. We want to praise thee, O God, our Redeemer. Dear Lord, as we come to this time of offering, let us be thankful. Let us be thankful for the gifts that you have given us. Lord, let us be aware of those gifts. Let us be aware of the sacrifice that it took to give us those gifts. Lord, let us be in awe of the price that was paid. Lord, let us give back what we can because it is never enough, because you paid it all. Lord, thank you so much for today, for today is truly a gift. Lord, we give this time to you, and it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's do stand together and continue to worship our Lord, sing together, praise God from whom all blessings flow.
Again, I hope you have your text in front of you, either the printed text or the electronic text, but have the scripture in front of you. Uh, I want to emphasize that we need to hear the word, we need to see the word. It's a very important sense in which we need to touch the word. And so, through all the senses, let the word of God uh, come into your life this morning. So, please have Galatians 1, starting at 13, reading through. Uh, 24. Um, Before I get to the prepared remarks, uh, let me just share with you that in looking at this passage, uh, all Scripture is the Word of God and is God-breathed and inspired, but sometimes in the landscape of a passage of Scripture, one verse sort of rises up like a a mountain peak in in the reading of the Scripture. And that's sort of what happened to me. There's There's a couple of mountain peaks in this a passage of Scripture. And so before we just work our way through it, I wanted to point out a couple of these mountain peaks, uh, if I may. The, the first one is the very last verse. I mean, I, I'll tell you, this is the one that, that really grabbed me uh, as I was studying this passage of Scripture. In Galatians 1.24, Paul says, they glorified God because of me. 
He goes through this passage of Scripture that we read a moment ago, and he's talking about the things that happened to him after he had uh, become a Christian, after he had encountered Christ on the road to Damascus. He said, I didn't just run down to Jerusalem and try to get certified. I didn't go down there to find out if there were some courses I needed to take to get my degree before they would give me the union card so I could go out and preach. Um, He said, I didn't do that. Actually, I I started preaching in Damascus. We find this out from the book of Acts chapter 9. He was preaching Christ and proving from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And uh, the Jewish folks there in Damascus got upset with Paul. They wanted to kill him. Oh, the irony of it. He'd gone to Damascus to kill Christians, to put them in prison. On the way, he becomes a Christian. He gets there. Now the folks there want to uh, persecute him and kill him. And so Paul finds his life under threat. And so he leaves Damascus. He goes out, he says, into Arabia. He comes back. Uh, And then eventually he comes down into the region of Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, People don't recognize him there. Uh, They don't have the kinds of hashtag Apostle Paul things that John was talking about. And so uh, they, they don't know what he looks like, but they just keep hearing this thing. The man that used to persecute us is now preaching the faith. There's been this marvelous turnaround in Paul's life. This man that we used to fear and we would tremble when we heard Paul was coming, now we hear he's coming to preach the gospel to us. And in that context, you know, the the context in which the people of Judea are looking at Paul and saying, this guy who used to persecute us, now he is preaching to us. And you can almost hear the amazement in Paul's voice as he's dictating the letter of Galatians, he says, and they are glorifying God because of me. Who would have thunk it? They are glorifying God because of me. I started to think about the people in my life who have led me to glorify God Um, I think, of course, of my parents, my mom and my dad. Most of you know dad was a chaplain in the Navy and then served for many years as a pastor here in Maryland. And uh, he and mother now buried in uh, Arlington Cemetery. But uh, dad was the kind of person that just brought Christ into life in such an ordinary way. I grew up in a home where Christ was honored and known. I just thought that was normal. I thought everybody had a dad who loved Jesus. I thought everybody had a father who was more interested in betraying the character and and portraying the the, the character and the nature of Christ um, than in getting angry and and those kinds of things. I just thought that was normal. I grew up in a home where to breathe the air was to breathe in the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I didn't know there was anything peculiar about that until I got to be an older kid and people started picking on me because I was a preacher's kid. But I'm I'm okay okay now. (laughs) You see, I I just thought that was normal. And I think of my mother, who uh, just betrayed the, uh, betrayed, portrayed. Get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) No more of that. Who portrayed Christ in the home and just made it seem like a normal, natural thing. So, of course, growing up in this home, it's not like I'm taking down notes as a preschooler. It's not like as a, as a little three-year-old, I'm saying, ah, ah, there we go, dad's praying, 
Write that down. Ah, there we go. Mother is loving and kind and gracious, involved in the church, taking the... You know that lady? My mother took three boys to church Sunday nights, every night when Dad was out to sea, packed us into the little 1952 Impala station wagon and carted us up to... uh, up to the First Baptist Church of San Diego, California, and made sure we were in church every Sunday night. And I didn't write that down. I just thought that was normal. I thought everybody did that. You know? And all those things that, that collect in a little kid's brain, you don't know it's getting put in there, but, but sure enough, it's there. Your active memory doesn't kick in for a few years after birth, but, but you're starting to, to build those memories and those values and, and those sort of expectations of life. My mom and my dad pouring those things into me. I didn't even know they were there. I, I never found out they were there until I went into therapy and, and discovered them. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, the, the, the mother and the father, my mom and my dad, I praise God because of them. And I praise God because of Debbie's folks, her mom and dad. Most of you, or not most of you, many of you knew my mom and dad. Uh, they were members of this church before they passed away. Uh, Debbie's mom and dad you may not have known so much about. They were both born in England. Uh, they didn't know each other in England. Uh, they uh, came to this country separately in separate families. Debbie's dad came to uh, West Virginia His father was an electrician uh, in the coal mines, and uh, Debbie's dad came over with that family, and then her mother came to the United States with her, uh, uh, with Debbie's grandfather, who was a barber, and he set up shop, literally, uh, in Baltimore, and there they grew up separately. They both joined the Salvation Army. Uh, This was back when the Salvation Army uh, preached the gospel and believed the word, and the reason you helped people and were um, you know, socially aware and worked for the well-being of the poor. The reason you did that was so that you could share Christ and so that they would be uh, brought to Jesus. And, and uh, so um, Debbie's mom and dad both called into this kind of intense service to the poor and to the disadvantaged, joined the Salvation Army. That's where um, they met and they were married in uniform. Uh, then they were sent, I believe it was to West Virginia, and uh, there they, they lived and they worked among the poor. Um, and, and I don't know if you've ever done that kind of work, but it's not a, a, um, a kind of work that people thank you a lot for. They just sort of expect you to do certain things, and yet they're very faithful in dealing and, and loving the poor in that kind of context. They eventually migrated into the ministry in the Methodist tradition. Uh, and this was back when the Methodists, uh, I shouldn't say this, but they believed the gospel. They really did. Um, uh, you, you should have heard my father-in-law's uh, heart break as he saw what was happening, especially in the Baltimore conference. There's still uh, Methodist conferences in the United States that are, that are conservative and, and, and seeking and striving to, to believe and, and to proclaim the gospel. But uh, at that time, that, that was the expectation. So they went into a gospel ministry. And uh, Debbie's father, when he preached, he had a voice better than Charlton Heston. I mean, when you listen to his voice, uh, you just knew you were listening to the voice of God coming down and reverberating around you. A very loving man, a man whose heart uh, broke for his people uh, as he loved them that way. And Debbie's mom, uh, just deeply involved in the church and um, kind and um, very concerned that people would know uh, who Christ is and, and to bring the gospel to them. And so Debbie grew up in that kind of home. Uh, I don't think she was taking notes on it and, and those kinds of things. But you know how children are. They, they, they observe their parents. And so uh, I just uh, kind of suspect that Debbie was watching her mom and dad 
Uh, and, and one of the things you may not know about Debbie is that I believe that she isn't just a pastor's wife, she is called to be a pastor's wife. I mean, as, as much as my calling to preach, I believe Debbie has a calling uh, to the church and to love the people of the church. And so when you see her doing things like loving people and putting on big, uh, like, oh, oh, maybe country fair dinners, uh, when, you, when you see her, um, you know, calling someone and saying, well, I know you're hurting, can I, can I help, can I talk to you? When you see her, um, I'm just going to brag a little bit. When you see Debbie in the preschool singing with the preschool children, you know why she does that? I mean, she loves your preschoolers, but she knows someday they're going to be teenagers. And the reason she sings with preschoolers and then she sings with children is so that she can talk to teenagers and she won't be a stranger. You know, if your child grows up in our church, they will know her from start to finish and so forth. I believe Debbie got that from her mother. I thank God for her mom and dad. They were just that kind of people. I glorify God because of them. Um, there are people throughout this church. I, 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 I would start naming names, but, but some of them are here, and I don't want to embarrass them. But uh, folks who taught my sons in Sunday school and RAs and uh, who, uh, who taught them in uh, discipleship training, which was church training when they were born. It was Baptist Young People's Union. If you remember that, don't admit it. Uh, but uh, the, my boys, as they were coming through the church, were taught by so many godly men and women. And I praise God. I glorify God because of them. This past week, I went to the funeral of Marvin Simpson. Marvin was the pastor of the church before I came here. Uh, and uh, there's people in this room who remember Marvin and his ministry. Uh, we are still uh, building on the foundation that Marvin laid uh, in his years here as, as a pastor. And so uh, I was very... Um, uh, pleased to go and glorify God because of Marvin. There's been all kinds of, of people in my life that I glorify God because of them. But for each one, it's sort of like Paul. Uh, you know, when Paul says, they glorified God because of me, I don't think, here's how he said it, you know, they glorified God because of me. You know, I was such great shakes that they, I just impressed those people while they were so amazed at my preaching and just so taken with my preaching that they would, they would cancel family vacations just to stay home Sundays and hear my preaching. That's how, my, that's how impressed they were with me, why they were glorifying God because I was so eloquent and so powerful. I think the way Paul said that verse is like this. I cannot believe it, but God somehow has used me to bring glory to himself. This is an amazing thing to me. And the reason they are doing it is because of the verse in front of it. They were saying, the one who used to persecute us now is preaching to us. The one who used to want to throw us in jail is now try, trying and striving to bring us into the kingdom. This Paul's life has been changed and we give glory to God because we see the change in Paul's life. They glorified God because of Paul, but not because of who Paul was, but because of what God had done in Paul's life. That, that's really the, the sense of the, in, of the entire passage, really. I mean, it, that's how he starts out, isn't it? In verse, we'll get to this in a minute. But he starts out in verse um, uh, 13. He says, you have heard of my former life in Judaism. You heard what my life used to be. Now, I grew up in First Baptist Church of San Diego, California. Spent about six years there, I, I believe. 
And uh, that's the church where I uh, became a Christian and went forward. I was baptized. The pastor was very gracious and asked my father to baptize me. So in that church, it still exists, it's still, still going strong, uh, that, that's where I became a Christian and uh, that's where I was baptized. But in the First Baptist Church of San Diego, every now and then, not every Sunday, but every now and then, they would have someone get up and give a testimony from the pulpit. And they would come up and they would say something like this. My life was in the pits and was absolutely wrecked. I was in the gutter, alcohol, drugs, And at the lowest point when I was in the gutter, God picked me up. And I believed in Jesus Christ, and my life was changed. Now, you've heard these testimonies. I mean, they are amazing. Some of you have that testimony. Some of you this morning, if you had enough nerve, you, you, you could get up, you could proclaim Christ that way. You could just talk about the depths of where you were to the heights of where Christ has brought you. Now, I'm listening to that as a really a preschooler as a child. And I don't quite understand all of it, but all I know is, wow, these people did some really bad things. I mean, they're talking about stuff in church we're not allowed to talk about in home. And, uh, and, but it's okay because it's a testimony. And so um, I'm, I'm listening to that as a child, and I'm thinking, wow, they did really bad stuff, and they believed in Jesus. That's what a Christian is. And then I looked at my life, and I said, you know, I haven't done anything bad enough for God to save. Now, I'm talking about, this this is the mind of a child. None of you have ever thought like a child, but I did once. (laughs) And I started thinking, I said, you know, maybe when I get a little older, I should really do something bad so there's something worth worth saving, you know, that kind of thing. Those were the testimonies that we heard, you know, the former way of life and the the radical difference that was made. Um, I'll tell you what my testimony is. It, it, it is that when I was eight years old, I walked down the center aisle of the First Baptist Church of San Diego, California, and I gave my heart to Jesus. I said, I, I, I want Jesus in my heart, and I want to be baptized. I was eight and a half years old. I was a scholar. <laughs> no, I, di- I didn't understand anything. I didn't understand. If I could have explained the virgin birth to me, you would have thought something was wrong with my parents. I couldn't tell you about the natures of Christ and the hypostatic union and, and you know, all the theological uh, arguments and controversies that have gone on in churches. I couldn't. All I knew was this. Something was broken, and Jesus would fix it. I knew that there was something called sin, and Jesus would forgive it. I knew there was something called being a believer in Christ, and I could not have told you all the ins and outs of it, but as an eight year old boy I went forward and I said I want to be baptized I believe in Jesus and that's what happened it was just that simple I mean it was was just that simple now that's why when a child comes forward in our church today and and, and, and it goes like that it's just I'm I'm back there all over again and and they come forward and I say "Why, why have you come I want to be baptized I know what they mean They mean, Pastor, you are so scary, I can barely get these words out. (laughs) But I want to be baptized. And I understand what's coming down the pike. I know that as a child you believe, and then as a teenager you question. 
I know as a child you embrace it because mom and dad say it's true, but as a teenager you start to have doubts and you start to wonder, how do we know there is a God? How do we know Jesus is the only way? How do we know the Bible is true? How do we know that that Christians are the ones who are going to heaven? How do we know all these things? And then you get into college and you get into that wonderful sophomore year and you decide, you know, I'm the first person who ever had any kind of, of epistemological problem with this kind of thing. And you start to feel really good about yourself because you can find questions about the Christian faith and religion. So I know that's coming down the pike that when a child comes to Jesus, there are these, this, this developmental process of understanding. I know all that's coming. I also happen to know that there's answers for every question and there are answers for every doubt. I also know that if you will but read and study, if you will but look at where people have been before, let me just say that to the sophomores among us, You're not the first to have these questions, and you won't be the last. And there are answers for it all. I've spent my life finding one after another after another, giving God the glory for it. But with all that coming down the pike, all these years later, some 53 years later, here's what I can tell you. The gospel is still simple. Something's broken, and Jesus will fix it. That's my testimony. Paul said his testimony was this. You remember my former life in Judaism, right? He says, you remember what I used to be in Judaism. Now, Judaism was not a bad thing. It happens to be the covenant uh, people in whom God prepared and brought forth the Messiah so that all the world could know the gospel of salvation. I mean, it's not like he was saying, you know, my former life, you know, in gang membership and in drug dealing and in, and in alcoholism. He said, no, you remember my former life in Judaism. He said, you remember how zealous I was for the traditions of the fathers. You remember how important it was for me that I, you know, not, not just embrace but continue what we were taught by the fathers. I mean, Paul was a conservative's conservative in that regard. He said, but, but you know where I was in Judaism. I was advancing beyond all my peers, the, the people the same age as I, I was. I was ahead of them. I'd been promoted ahead of my class, and I was on the way to leadership positions. Paul was the ultimate fair-haired boy of the Jewish religious establishment. He says, you know my former life. Let me tell you what his former life was. His former life was memorizing the Bible. He just didn't talk about the Torah. He had it memorized. Chapter, verse, and jot and tittle. He had it all. And he could apply the scriptures to you. Ask him a question, Rabbi Paul would tell you. So he read the Bible. He had the Bible nailed. Paul was a man of prayer in Judaism. There were set prayers every day, depending on the time of day, depending on which day and a a, a part of the the worship calendar it was. You had certain prayers that you would recite, and Paul would recite those prayers. And so he was a man constantly in prayer. He was a man who was constantly going to synagogue. And if he wasn't in synagogue, he was in temple. If he wasn't in temple and synagogue, he was out telling other people that they should be in synagogue and temple. He was a guy who went to church all the time and so he was a man of the word a man of prayer a man of the church and Paul said that's my former life because that former life had become a religious exercise somewhere along the way Paul had lost the warmth 
of reading scriptures and seeing there not verses that you pull out of context to beat people over the head to prove you're right in an argument. He, 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 he'd forgotten that the Word of God comes to us as God's personal love letter to us, God speaking His compassion to us. He forgot that when you read the Word, you're reading a living Word of God. He'd forgotten that when you pray, it's not praying so that other folks know that, hey, I'm, I'm holy and I'm religious. It's not praying so that you can check that box off the, off the requirements and say, you know, I've done my prayer today. He had forgotten that prayer is sweet communion with the Father. He had forgotten that prayer is a time when not only do you speak from the heart, but God speaks to your heart, and he just transforms you. He'd forgotten that prayer was a time of fellowship with God Almighty. He'd forgotten that attendance at synagogue and attendance at the temple was not a matter of going there and fulfilling your Sabbath obligations so you could feel superior to everybody who wasn't there. He had forgotten that assembling together for the purpose of worship was so that he might be joined together with like-minded people in the covenant of God to worship and to adore the Father. And so it would be a living, breathing, worshiping time with other believers. He'd forgotten that. And he had sunk down into religion and he'd lost track of the fact that God calls us not into a religion but into a relationship with him. And Paul had lost all that. And he says, you know my former condition. You know how advanced I was? But you remember that my religion was so important to me that I couldn't stand for anybody to disagree with me. So Paul said, you, you, you remember that I would go out and I would persecute the church. I, I loved my Jewish faith so much that, that these people out there who were talking about following Jesus and following the way of Christ, these people, I couldn't abide them. They had to be arrested. They had to be stopped. That's what Paul's religion did to him. Notice, by the way, that when he became a believer in Christ, he didn't go out and start persecuting the Jews because they were wrong. His relationship with Christ transformed itself into a loving proclamation of salvation in Christ to those with whom he disagreed. His religion caused him to be a brow-beating, hateful, murdering, imprisoning persecutor of the church. So Paul says, you remember my former way of life. You, you remember that Judaism? He says, no more. That's not what it is anymore. He said, because on the road to Damascus, I met Jesus. Well, there's a couple other things. This, by the way, was the other highlight verse. Then we'll get to the sermon. He says, for you heard of my former life, this is verse 13, in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of the fathers. But... When he who had set me apart before I was born, in the Greek that's literally from the womb, from my mother's womb, encased those earliest moments of life surrounded by the warmth of a loving mother. He said, God loved me then. Isn't that what he says? The one who called me before I was born, who called me when I was in the womb. By the way, we just stop here a moment and say, yes, it's there. There's a sanctity of human life there. 
There is the reality that in the womb it is human life, an individual human life created and formed and shaped and being grown up and knitted together by the hand of God. There is a sacred human life there in the womb. God begins at the moment of conception to love us with a love unfathomable. By the way, what had Paul done in the womb to earn the love of God? What had he accomplished to earn the attention of God in the womb? What had he done that God would set him apart in his mother's womb to call him into a gospel ministry? What had Paul done? Here is the answer. Absolutely nothing. There was no merit on Paul's part. There was no value on Paul's part where he could exchange that and say, God, you owe me one here. God loved him and God called him simply because God is a God of grace and of of kindness and mercy and compassion toward us. Tell you what that means in your life. God has loved you from the beginning. God has loved you from the beginning. You know, and all those messed up things going on in your head, some of you have those, you know, but all those, those, those childhood issues, you know, All of those things that happened to you, you know, and you didn't even know it because you were like maybe a baby or you're one years old or two years old. It wasn't until you got in therapy that somebody pointed this out. Ah, I see what's happening, but it's still buried there. Let me tell you something. God has known about it all along, and he's loved you all along, and he refuses to allow you to be disqualified from the human race. He loved you so much he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, and that begins at the very beginning, the very opening instant of your existence before you were even thinking or aware. I mean, that, that just jumps out at you in this sort of mountain peak verse. So he says, and, uh, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by what? By his grace. Paul said he, he called me from where I was, not, not because I was a scholar and he was, I mean, Paul was a biblical scholar. He he knew the scriptures, what we read as the Old Testament. He had it memorized. But what happened was that that knowledge of the scriptures did not qualify him to enter into the kingdom of God. It was the grace of God that qualified him to bring him into the kingdom of God. Now, when Paul came in, God started using that biblical knowledge. And so Paul was able to go to the Old Testament and to show those attending the synagogues, here's the scripture that says Messiah must come. And here's the scripture that says Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. And so um, God was able to use all that background that that Paul had and instead of it now being to aggrandize Paul and make him something really important on the religious scene God started to use that to aggrandize Christ and to show the exalted uh, nature of Christ uh, before a lost humanity and so God used that but that didn't qualify Paul for the kingdom it was the grace of God that brought him in that's what brings an eight-year-old boy into the kingdom the grace of God I didn't ask God to put me into a Christian home, but he did. Not everybody has that testimony, and that just magnifies to me the grace of God. You know, you want me to get up in the pulpit and tell you my testimony? Here it is. God who called me from my mother's womb loved me with a love I could not imagine and poured his grace into my heart from the very beginning. And I don't understand any much more of it now than I did at eight years of age. But I know this. Jesus Christ died for my sins. And when I trust him, he saves me. 
It's that simple. And it's still that simple. Paul said, when when this God who called me from my mother's womb, when he uh, decided by his grace and called me by his grace, in verse um, 16, folks, I hope you have this open. Ready? When this God was pleased to reveal his son to me, when this pleased God, I'm going to use a phrase here. You ever think about what makes God happy? Well, it's not like God is ever depressed, so what does it mean for God to be happy? Look, you, you know what I mean. What pleases God? What makes God happy? We know he is pleased when he sees brothers dwelling together in peace. We know he is pleased when he sees forgiveness in our lives. We know he's pleased when he sees mercy and compassion in our lives for others. He knows he, uh, we know he is pleased when he sees uh, in us a love for justice and mercy rolling down like the waters. We know that pleases God. But let me remind you that when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon Christ like a dove, and the voice from heaven said what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased his son pleases the father jesus pleases god and so when paul says it pleased god to call me at that moment god was pleased to do what to reveal let me read it for you he was pleased to reveal his son to me he was pleased to open the curtains and set my eyes upon jesus It pleased God that I would come and love his son. That's what makes God happy. So Paul says, that's that's what happened to me. That's that's my testimony. You know my former life. I was on the road to Damascus. God stopped me. It pleased God to reveal his son to me and then give me a ministry to preach Christ to the Gentiles. How incredibly ironic. Because that's what upset Paul the most about Christians was they were asking Gentiles to become Christians, to become believers. Oh, wait a minute. And so this pleased uh, God to, um, to do that, and he was set apart. So that, that's the, the, the simple, simple gospel. It's a gospel so simple it saves an eight-year-old boy. I praise God. I glorify God. It's that simple. It's a gospel so simple that it saves a hidebound religious person like the Apostle Paul. It's just that simple. I thank God that it's a gospel that will bring the addict out of the crack houses and will bring the drunk out of the gutter and will bring the the self-possessed and self-righteous smug uh, person out of their complacency. I, I thank God it's a gospel that that will bring us out of our dysfunction and our brokenness into the healing and the wholeness of the Holy Spirit. I thank God the gospel is just that simple. But let me tell you something. Um, First, for those of you who don't know Christ, and, and, well, you know who you are, I hope. See, you, you can be a member of a church. You can be a member of the First Baptist Church of Waldorf and have said all the right things, but you've never come to the point where you've asked Christ into your heart as your Lord and as your Savior. You've never given your heart to him. The gospel's still simple. It's just that simple. But brothers and sisters who believe in Christ, the gospel is still simple. 
it's still grace. It's still the loving work of God in Christ to bring us from where we are to where we need to be. The gospel is still that simple. Don't make it any harder than it needs to be. Don't think that God is up there keeping a score and you've got to, you've got to measure up and hit the standard before he's going to love you or use you. The gospel is still a gospel of people who are lost and broken, and God in his good pleasure reveals his son and brings us out of darkness into the kingdom of light. The gospel is still that simple. And that's what jumped out at me from this passage. Just starting with that verse, they glorified God because of me. And then you look at what it took for them to do that, and it was all God's work. It was all God's action. So this morning, the gospel is still that simple. We'll preach this some other time. The gospel is still that simple. That an eight-year-old boy can believe because it's what God does what he does pray with me please father in heaven i just thank and praise you that you haven't changed the gospel you haven't altered its its content nor have you set up new conditions but it's still your grace father i pray for the outpouring of your holy spirit in this room upon this people that your holy spirit would reveal to the heart where confession needs to be made and salvation gained father that your holy spirit would would break the pride and would, would break down the self-righteousness and bring us all to just love you by the power of your, your spirit. Father, I pray for the grace to just flow out upon us that this simple gospel would be real in our lives. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. If you're following along in your hymnal. Number 528, my faith has found a resting place.